Thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of West Houston podcast, where we are spirit-filled and spirit-led. Join us live at POWH.org. Welcome to the very first Wednesday night of the new year. I'm reading out of the book of Matthew chapter 5. Thank you for coming to Bible study tonight. This is my select night. As far as I'm concerned, this would be the select night or the select service for the believer. Sunday morning we try to we try to evangelize and we try to edify. But Wednesday night is education night and this is for the believer to um, give you knowledge because knowledge is power. And if you want power to prevail with God, you need the word of God hitting your heart. You need that. Matthew 5 and 14. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I just want to talk to you out of that first verse 14 and that one clause in there. A city that is set on a hill. And what happens at the end of this study tonight is going to be totally up to the Lord. Just whatever he wants to do. But I want to talk to you about a city set on a hill. And could you say praise the Lord. God bless you. Turn around, look at somebody that's across the aisle. If it's just within eye distance of them, make a, a gesture of welcome and tell them that you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord tonight. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. The flood and the destruction of this earth in Noah's days are overwhelming when you stop to think about it to the um, finite mind. Even the situation with Abraham concerning Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction, all hard to wrap your mind round about that and understand the warnings that mercy and love undoubtedly reaches its limits and then you look at the spiritual state of the culture of those days I'm speaking of Noah's days in Sodom and Gomorrah, it shows that they were in such a, a state that it moved God to his wrath. Wickedness was so um, flagrant that the Bible says that the vast majority could not even think. I didn't even know if you know this was in the Bible 
men's minds were continuously evil only, meaning not only acts that they committed, but their mind, they could not even get a pure thought in their mind. Everything that they thought was continuously evil according to what God said. And so violence was so rampant and the earth was filled with it. You read this in the sixth chapter of Genesis, verses 5 through 7 and verses 11 through 13 of that sixth chapter. You can do that at a later time. That was Noah's day. That was Noah's time. And then the sordid memory of Sodom lives in our minds with sodomy. People flaunted their perversion. People blatantly, as they do with their modern counterparts today, blatantly flaunt that openly. So God sent two angels in human form to deliver Lot and the men of Sodom tried to gang rape those two angels when they arrived at Sodom and the Lord could not tolerate such conditions any longer. Even Lot tried to talk them out of it and said, you can have my daughter, but leave these men alone. But they didn't want the daughters, they wanted those men. That's in the ninth chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 25, and God rained down upon an area which I believe is pretty close to the Dead Sea. Um, I have been in that area, and I have seen um, documentaries on the the remains of brimstone in that area that some of them were bigger than softballs that came down and um, it just represents what a society can become when God is banished. When you take God out of the pictures, two different civilizations, Noah's era and then Lot's, Sodom's, Abraham, and all of that. You see what happens when people put God out of their lives. You see what happens when there are no restraints that are placed on the flesh. You see what happens when people, two people, when nobody is giving true sound and defining direction, there's no, there's no certain sound that comes from the pulpit, and there's no certain sound that people can hear and go by. So the number of believers declined so drastically in that day that they became a very weak minority, and God looked 
for a man, this one. And he had a hard time finding a representative of righteousness until the Bible said that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And God's purpose in the days of Noah and Lot, I want you to understand this, was not to reform those cultures. God was not interested in reforming those cultures, but evil had reached a stage that God said, I've got to destroy it. I've got to totally do away with it. And after rescuing those that had accepted his plan of deliverance, tragically, that number was exceedingly small. In Noah's situation, it was only eight souls, according to 1 Peter, that were saved by water. Lot, his wife, their three sons and their wives, there was eight people that was saved by water. So God's purpose was to save. They choose otherwise, God destroys. So it was not reforming. It was either save or destroy. That's, that's it. That's my choice. And so God's purpose in this present age, you and I need to understand what I'm about to say to you. God's purpose in this present age is not to reform this culture. He is not interested in reforming this culture. Ultimately, he will destroy it. In the end, God is going to destroy it. And he will do it this time by fire. He will deliver all who will obey his plan of salvation. So he's either going to save or he is going to destroy. But he is not going to reform. So when you have the opportunity to be born again of the water and of the Spirit, what a fantastic opportunity that is. And if you have not been, you should avail yourself of that opportunity. Because I want to say it again, God is not going to reform this, this world. You see, Pastor, <clears throat> don't you believe in revival? Yes, I very much so believe in revival, but I, I do not believe that it is going to reform the world. What God is going to send is going to be a quick work, it's going to be a sudden work, and it's going to happen quickly. And I do not believe that it is going to get better. I believe it's going to get worse and worse, and men's hearts will wax worse and worse. And this world is not going to get better. This world will never be reformed. This world is headed toward judgment. It's headed that direction. And ultimately, it will be surmised at the battle of Armageddon, that day is coming that's described in 2 Peter 3 and 2, or 10. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein, the works that are therein. He's not going to reform this culture. He's going to destroy it. The works that are therein shall be burned up. So today's moral, societal anarchy that we see going on and the rampant violence, uh, murder, is just out of control right now, ladies and gentlemen. I wish somebody can help me right now. Murder is out of control. Anarchy is out of control. And that's going to bring, that's going to bring God's wrath on this culture. The world has become one vast Sodom and is waiting for the divine fires of judgment to fall. And man has decided that he can build new structures of morality without reference to God's will or even God's law. This, I will make my own rules and build my own code of ethics and we're living in a day where we have built these computers and these modules and now they're building uh, things like cloned animals, cloned sheep. They're striving, I don't know if you know this, they're striving to perfect a cloned human being. They're, they're wanting to get that. Man is trying to work his way in a position where he can live his life without God. Just simply stated, trying to live his life without God. And our world is moving to, toward a place where every man is becoming his own God and his own Savior in his own mind. When you go and talk to somebody about being lost, they'll say, lost, what are you talking about? I've never went anywhere. I'm not lost. They have become their own God, They're trying to become their own Savior. And it is sad that intellectual people in America think that they can create a new order without Almighty God being involved in their lives. It will be the destruction of North America if we get to that place. And their effects have succeeded to the point that society no longer has a spiritual center that they can gravitate off to. They cannot go toward it. The spiritual center, the, the nucleus is being destroyed. And God said for such rebels, for such people that want to shut him out, and he said, I, I will destroy the culture that you try to build without me involved in it. I will totally destroy that. Their only hope is to flee from it. America's only hope is to turn back to God. That's our only hope. 
and come into the shelter that's provided, Jehovah said, by me. That is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are, they're safe. Come, come on and come this way, come this direction. Turn to me. If you'll run to that tower, that's the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. You and your family in this horrible, wicked, untoward generation can be safe. You can be safe. But another culture and another society in this world that is destined for glory and not destruction, it's called the church. Everybody shout the church. It is a distinct society destined for success, destined for glory. It's a separated society. It's been called by the Lord himself a special people, my ecclesia, my, my bride, my wife, the one that I purchased with my own life's blood, his church. Matthew 16 and 18 and 1 Peter 2 and 9, he calls this his church, his church, his church. So what I want to see in this culture is the contrast to the background of our wicked age that we're living in. There's got to be a contrast to the backdrop of the church. The church has got to shine like a diamond that's being displayed against black velvet backdrops. It's got to shine. It's got to be distinct. It's got to be able to be seen. It's got to be able to be identified. One of the New Testament descriptions of the church according to Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I want to tell my church that you are a city that has been set on a hill that cannot be hid. And he said, let me tell you about this society called my church. You don't take your candle and then light it and then hide it under a bushel, but you take that candle and you light it and you place it on that lampstand, you place it on that candlestick, and it giveth light to all who are in the house. And the world can see me shining through you. That's it. The world is going to see me shining through you. He said, here's what your job is to do, church. This is your work orders. You get your candle. You light that candle. You put it on a lamp stand, and then you let that candle glow. Let the whole house see what the church is supposed to be. 
Let everybody who would look at that hillside look and see what the church is supposed to be. Now, in that passage, that candlestick means a lamp that is illuminated in a single house. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's a lamp that is illuminated in a single house. It represents light that comes out of an individual believer's life. That's what he's talking about. The city, however, is made up of many houses. And it's a picture of the church as a whole. The candle is an individual's life. But the city is a picture of the whole church. So having given you those, you can follow me tonight in very hilly hills of Palestine or Palestine. Cities were often built on a hill where the sun would reflect off of it. There are white limestone structures caught the light of the early morning sun and the picture could quickly be seen by those that were in lower ground as the lights would shine through the windows of the city houses so that they could be seen at night. Everybody that was down below could see the light that was shining through not only the individual life, but they could see the light that was shining through the city, the church. Are you catching the picture? Everybody could see that, whether it was daytime or whether it was nighttime, the sun would hit that house during the day and it would hit it and illuminate it at night and there would be candles that would be placed in the window of a city that was, that was on a hill and it was illuminated so it could be seen by all the travelers that were traveling. Such a city did not blend. This is important to understand. Such a city did not blend with the rest of the landscape. Such a city was very easily identifiable. Such a city did not look like other buildings, but such a city that was set on a hill was illuminated with the character that Jesus Christ wants his church to be lit up with. And that's where people can see a church and they can run to it. They can gravitate to it. They can easily navigate to it. Whether it's daytime or whether it's nighttime, it will be illuminated and there is a saving plan for that individual. It's up high. It's not down low. You can see it. Just lift up your eyes to the hills. 
from whence cometh your help. Your help is coming from the Lord. And this present age that tolerates the church that we're in right now, they tolerate the church as long as it maintains a low profile, as long as the church is not pushing their Christ against the world's agenda. They do not mind if there is a church as long as the church remains low profile. But that is contrary to the divinely ordained mission of what God has called His church to be. God never called His church to be low profile. He never called His church to be shy and timid and laid back but he called his church to be on a hill, lit up and illuminated, shining his glory through them so that all who come by can see the glory of God and be changed by what they find. Can you give the Lord a good hand clap of appreciation right now for that marvelous light that has shined on us? He said, you are a city. You are a city. I need you to understand that you're an individual with light, but collectively, together with those believers around you, you make up a city. You are a city that has been set on a hill, and you are to enjoy the high visibility to where those in the valley cannot deny the presence that you possess. No matter how they feel about the inhabitants, they cannot deny what they see and they cannot deny the direction and the pull toward the light. The church is to be a city that is set on a hill that people can find. They can get to it and get to it easily. This city that is Christ's church is on elevated ground where the air is clean, where the air is pure, where the air is unpolluted. Below lies the world in a reeking, low-level sewage of all that is down below and that culture is dominated by the devil who is Satan himself. But not so with the church. The upper level culture is dominated by the Holy Ghost, which is God himself living inside of the heart of every individual that makes up the constituency of the body of Christ. The world, can we believe this, is not ashamed, they're not embarrassed by flaunting its values. They're not timid about pushing their agenda. Can I just talk to you for just a moment? Can we get real for just a moment? Dressing like one, 
looking like one, acting like one. They're not ashamed to flaunt their values. They're not ashamed to display that. They're not ashamed to dress like they want to dress without anybody having to explain why they do what they do. I don't owe anybody any answer. I just do what I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. So the church must be just as bold. This is where we're failing to see it. We have got to be just as bold about how we feel about our God as much as the world is bold about how they feel about their God. Can somebody join in with the Apostle Paul and say, for we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. If they're going to feel that strong, does anybody believe this? If they're going to feel that strong about their God, I'm going to feel that much more stronger about my God. Listen, listen. I've never understood that. Never understood that. People can go, I'm talking about Holy Ghost filled people, can go to a, a, an event. They can go to a concert. They can go to a ball game. They can go to... Uh, just about anywhere, and, 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 and I've I watched people take a hat and beat that hat over the back of a seat because somebody took a pigskin and crossed over the, the, the goal line and scored a touchdown, and they'll ruin a good hat, and yet they want to come to church and sit there quiet and timid. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You should not do any more for the devil than what you do for God. If you did that for the devil, you ought to be able to take that same attitude and do it for God and even do it more so. Come on, help me. Help me. I'm going to make you preach with me for just a moment. Some of you that used to honky-tonk, some of you that used to go on the bar floors, some of you that used to get on the disco floors. I don't know if they do disco anymore. Some of you that used to get out there and used to do the do-si-do with the devil. How come you can't come to church and do the same thing for Jesus Christ? Why do you got to sit there all shamed and intimidated? Come on, clap your hands. Come on and make a joyful noise. Come on and get excited. You are the light of the world. And God is depending on you shining bright so that the world can see you through him, through you. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. The, the world's value system is solely based on human desires and whims and impulses and notions. And the world's system is based on this value system if it feels good, just do it. Does it matter who it hurts? Does it matter the collateral damage that it does? The entire system is based on human desires and whims and wants. 
And the world wants to sit back and insist that there are no absolutes. There are no absolutes. The world insists you do not need fixed standards of morality. Take the standards out. There are no rules. Make your own life decisions and live any way that you want to live. Live the way you want to live. Do what you want to do and the consequences will be minor. That's what's being injected into the mindset. I'll tell you parents, you need to, you really need to, you need to school you need to monitor. You need to watch what your kids are being taught. Because while you think they're safe, tucked away at school, learning their ABCs, I promise you there's a, there's a world system that's trying to inject other things into them to get them questioning what sex they are, what gender they are. You, how do you know that you're a boy? How do you know that you're a girl? How do you know that you would not like this homosexual lifestyle? How, how would you know that until you try it? Just experience it. Try it. See if you like it. You may like it. You may not like it. But that's okay. But give it a try. That's what's being taught to our children. You say, do you believe that? I know that. That's what's being injected. It's an anti-God, anti-Christ spirit that is in this world right now. But the church value system draws its value from the unchanging, infallible, inerrant word of God. And from the word of God that is a living God. And by no means are the citizens of this city aloof and isolated. They labor constantly to rescue those that are trapped by Satan. Our job is each one reach one. Our job is to let our light so shine before men. Our job is to snatch every soul we could possibly snatch out of the clutches of hell before Jesus comes back to deal with this earth and take his bride out of this world. You are a city that has been set on a hill. So let your light so shine before men. He's called you out of the pollution of the lowlands so that his spirit can pull others to safety by you maintaining a position, watch me, just by you maintaining a position, staying on the hill. Your consistency is invaluable your consistency and your faithfulness is so important. 
your consistency. He's depending on it. There is a purity and a godliness and a holding a position that when people are in trouble, you have a clean place that you can run to. I see it. There it is right there. I see it. And you can run to it right there. And the builder of this city is not a design to please the culture of this age. If that were the case, the church would have been exited long time ago. If we would come off of the mountain and make it with the world's systems, enemies that have tried to destroy the city in times past, but they've always failed despite the unrelenting hatred of men despite the hatred of demons and Satan himself against the church of the living God, it still stands the test of time. And I'm telling you that when the world's Sodom lies in the smoking ruins, the city that is set on the hill will still be standing. When this world is on fire, the church is not going to ever go down. The church is always going to go up. So I can tell you, somebody said, I feel like my life is sinking. I feel like my life is going down then I suggest you attach yourself to the bright and the morning star and attach yourself to that star and let that star take you to heights you've never been to before. The church, by shout the church. Come on, shout the church. The church must never sink down to the low ground to where evil holds sway over our life. Its light then could not be a beacon to lost travelers. The citizens could no longer have pure air, which is a sharp contrast to the suffocating contrast of the stench of this present world where lives are wrecked. There are no other cities for which the devil's slaves can flee for deliverance. They have nowhere to turn. They have nowhere to go. Nothing for them to run to except for a church that's set on a hill that's a living, a holy, godly life with the power of the Holy Ghost operating in it. That's why I was saying this this past week, and I hope you understand what I'm talking about I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I'm just talking about in general. This is happening all over, all over, everywhere. This is happening everywhere. I've talked to a lot of pastors. This is happening everywhere. There are people that started three years ago when COVID started, and they started out by saying, I'm just going to lay out until this passes over, and then I'll come back to church. Guess what? Three years have passed by, and they still had not come back to church. Well, I'm staying home and I'm praying. 
baloney. Well, I'm talking to God from the house. No, you're not. You cannot, you cannot digress. And this is what I was talking about with the yo-yo type mentality. Up one moment, down the next moment. Up one moment, down the next moment. If you've come here for any period of time, if you have come here two, three, four years, and you're still struggling in your walk with God, something is wrong. Something is out of balance. You're failing in some area. And I've got a good feeling it's because you're frequently taking trips down the side of that hillside and you're going down to the valley and you're living down there for a little while and then you're coming back up on the hillside. But you can't live that way. You can't operate that way. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. Make your identity known. Let the world know. Let everybody know whose side you're on. And if you're on Jesus' side, be on Jesus' side all the way. I do it because I love him. Falling in love with Jesus. I do it because I love him. I live for him because I love him. I do the things that I know to do because I love him, not because somebody's asking me to do it, not because somebody twists my arm, not because somebody has to constantly stay after me. I do it because I love him. You have to be set on a hill to be powerful, to be godly, to be holy, to be anointed. What do beautiful buildings and high-powered programs amount to if the lights go out? You take the Holy Ghost out of this room, you take the anointing out of this room, this is no different than any other church in Houston, Texas. What's the value of POWH to Houston if we become like the world? And, and do we end up standing in the lower valleys with the world? And if we abandon our purity and our integrity and our distinctiveness, the church will not be the church we will not be able to rescue those that are in trouble in the church if we do not remain in the church you better find a church that has some absolutes if this is not the one for you then you need to find you one that's got some absolutes you better not get a part of one that goes along with anything that comes along I'm glad that I'm in a church that has doctrine. 
and it stands upon that solid doctrine because it's the Word of God. If you want a church, you have to stand for something. You've got to stay on that hill. You've got to stay on that hill. You have to stand on the right side of something, so stand on the hill. Stay on that hill. If you stand for what the apostles and the prophets have handed to us, you do it by staying on the hill. This church cannot compromise, listen to me, its doctrinal beliefs. If you're looking for me to change the doctrinal preaching of this church, you're at the wrong church. Because the doctrinal preaching of this church will never change. It will never change. Come on, look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, stay on the hill. Come on, tell them, stay on the hill. You can't get to this hour and say, well, it doesn't matter. No, you've got to stay on the hill. Why? My city depends on it. The lost depend on it. My family depends on it. Let me, let me, let me say something to you. Listen to me. I'm going to say something to you adults. You're sending mixed messages to your children by living an up and down, vacillating life. It's one day Jesus, the next day we're, down, we're downtown in the lowlands. And then we're up on the mountaintop the next time and your kids are trying to Figure out which way we're going, which way we're going, which way we're going. Is it up? Is it down? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? That's one of the biggest enemies of the church. Is hypocrisy. Either you're going to live this and live it with all that you've got or go out and have a good time and live it up while you can before this thing gets destroyed. See, I don't know how you felt about it. Not everybody in this room was raised Pentecost. Not everybody was raised in the apostolic truth. In fact, if you were not raised in the apostolic truth, you did not grow up in Pentecost, why don't you raise your hand where I can see where you're at? See, that's, that's a large percentage of this church. Now let me ask you another question. As far as the world is concerned and the devil was concerned, did you halfway live for him? Or did you just give it your best? So why, when we come to God, why do we want to come to God and halfway come to God and halfway do this? And we send mixed emotions out to our children, which is to their detriment. Our children need to see us in the bad times and in the good times. 
when things are going our direction or when things are not going our direction. We still have that consistency of staying in the window and letting the light of God shine through us because just simply just standing there, you don't have to do nothing but stand there. I could cut the lights out in this room and it was in total darkness and could take a single solitary match and light that match. Guess what? That one match would dispel all of this darkness. And no matter where you were in this building, you could find your way to the light. Now, you might trip over a few things on your way there. But if you fall, rejoice not against me, O my enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. I'll just get back up and I'll start looking for the light again. And I'll keep following that light until I get to that light. That's what Jesus said you've got to do. Just stay in there and be consistent. How many want this place to be a place where your kids can be saved? Come on, hold your hand up. How, how, many, how many wants this to be a strong church? Come on, hold your hand up. You want this to be a strong church. And, and, and now that we're going for it, let's just go for all of it. How many, how many wants this to be the strongest church in this area? Come on, hold your hand up. Let me tell you how that's going to happen. You know how that's going to happen? Stay on the hill. Stay on the hill. And let the light that's in you, let the light which is Jesus Christ, let that light shine through you. And when the world looks at you, they can see Jesus in you. That's what the word Christian means in the first place. That's where it all started at was at Antioch. You know what they said about them at Antioch? They called them Christians first at Antioch. Why? Because when they looked at them, they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because of what they were displaying, the way they were acting the way that they were conducting themselves. We have not been called to blend with this world. We're not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We haven't been called to blend with this world. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. You are a peculiar people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen nation. You're a chosen people. That you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So, you have to have a strong church that has something built on the inside of them, and it's called spiritual character. It's called integrity. It's, it, it's called power. It's called anointing. It's light. It's light. 
It's light. This is going to be an apostolic church, and if it's going to be an apostolic church, it's going to be doctrinally pure, and it's got to stay separated unto the Lord. We cannot act like other churches act. I'm sorry if they're satisfied with doing their few songs and everybody just sits back, lays back and stares at one another. I'm sorry if they're satisfied with that kind of church. I wasn't raised that way. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to operate that way. I want to feel something when I come in here. I enjoy getting together with you in worship. I enjoy getting together with you in praise. I enjoy getting your faith to come together with my faith. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst of them. So my main objective every time I come to church is to get Jesus to show up between you and I. Well, I don't know if I really like that kind of preaching. Well, you're not going to like this church. Because that's what this church is all about. Because we're going to have a place where people can run to and a place where people can be saved. This is going to be a soul-saving station. It's going to be. Paul writes to his son Timothy in the gospel. Let me, let me get you 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, what's going to happen in the latter times? Are you seeing this? Some shall depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to seducing spirits. And what? Doctrine of devils. Do you understand? We just said we have doctrine in this church. Do you understand the devil's got doctrine too? Some are going to depart in the last days from the faith because they're going to give heed to seducing spirits. And these doctrine of devils speak lies and hypocrisy. Their consciences have been seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from each which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature is of God, is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for if it was sanctified by the word of God with, and prayer and if, if thou put brethren in remembrance these things thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished up in the words of faith and of and I've, undersc I've underscored good doctrine. So if there's good doctrine do you see that? Do you see that good doctrine? So if there's good doctrine, there has to be bad doctrine. Whereunto thou hast obtained. In the last days, I've called you, P-O-W-H, to keep them in remembrance of good doctrine that's your job that's your assignment keep them in remembrance of good doctrine hear me one lord one faith 
one baptism, one God who's above all, who's in us all, who's through us all. He's got a name that's highly exalted, that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow of things in heaven and things in earth. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Moreover, brethren, I present to you the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the death, the burial, resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. You'll read it. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good doctrine. You repent of your sins. You're baptized in Jesus' name. It's the only way anybody was ever baptized in the New Testament church. You receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's good doctrine. You don't change that doctrine. You don't mess with that doctrine. You hold fast to that doctrine. You believe that doctrine. You hold on to that doctrine. Why? Because they're seducing spirits that will come into this world. They are doctrine of devils that will try to dilute it and tell you it doesn't matter. And when they're interviewed by hosts on television programs, they'll say stuff like this. Well, I believe that everybody is going to make it to heaven. I believe that the Hindus are going. I believe that the Muslims are going. I believe that Christians are going. I believe everybody's going. The main thing is that you love God. Well, who's God? Because the scripture said they're God's many. But there's only one Lord Jesus Christ. And they won't top, touch top and bottom of what I'm talking about right now. You know what they're going to tell you about? About the way that you prosper and you go through this life. And Christians don't get flat tires. You're blessed and you're highly favored of the Lord because you pull up in a parking lot and you get a front row parking spot. You have been highly favored of the Lord. I beg to differ. I said this the other day and I said it in a, in a, in a, in a joking way, but I, I really didn't mean it. Most of us need the exercise anyway. And it's not going to hurt us to walk. And I don't believe that I'm highly favored just because I happen to pull up and there's a front row parking spot. You know what? There might be times that I'm going to give up that front row parking spot just to go to the back so I can get my exercise in. I need my 10,000 steps. And that don't make me less favored of God because I do that. Now, do you understand what I'm telling you? That ain't got nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. What is the gospel? What do you hear preached here every Sunday? It's the death, it's the burial, and it's the resurrection. There's not ten ways to God, there's not four ways to God, there's not three ways to God, there's one way to God. And when pinned down 
they want to say, well, there's many roads that lead to God. No, there's not. And I'm not saying this to be ugly, but they're just a coward. They're a coward. And they won't take a stand because they're afraid of losing their audience. I just made up my mind, if I'm the only one standing here, I'm going to be the only one standing here, but the message is still going to be the same. All right. Get 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 10. I, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, and when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, that, that's stirring up questions all of the time, whether then godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. That's the love of God out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some have swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they are firm. They don't know what they're talking about. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners and for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers and whoremongers, for them that defileth themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars and perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's pretty tough there, isn't it? Titus 1 and 9, holding fast the faithful word which has been taught that he may be able to be by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. You hold on to the word of God. Hold on to what you've been taught. Learn what you've been taught. My pastor used to tell me this, learn to take it apart, put it back together. Learn to take it apart, put it back together. Take it apart, put it back together. I would sit there on the front row and I would take notes of his sermons. He'd say, take it home, put, take it apart. Put it back together, bring it back to me, let me and read it to me. Take it apart, put it back together. Take it apart, put it back together. Know the doctrine that you've been taught. Why? that you may be able to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Titus 2, 1 through 2. But thou, but speak thou of the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Paul poured into Timothy and Titus 
the main two men who he trained to lead this apostolic Jesus thing church and told them to not preach anything else but what I have delivered unto you. Don't, don't, don't get caught up in anything else. There'll be things that come in among you, wolves that come in among you that try to get you to turn this way and turn this way, but you hold fast to what has been given to you. I advise all denominations to preach what Paul preached. Because he said, if anybody comes preaching any other gospel unto you than what I have preached unto you, let him be anathema maranatha. Let him be accursed when he comes. Hebrews chapter 13 and 9, and then we're going to read Jude, and then we're going to go home. Be not carried away with divers strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart is established with grace and not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Let me read Jude. What chapter in Jude? What chapter was it? How many? Oh, there's only one chapter? Okay. I'm just checking you. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of Jane, to them that sanctified by God, the Father preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you in peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I, I gave all diligence to write unto you the, of the common salvation, it was needful me, for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, watch this, that have crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains and utter darkness under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as, here we go, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and had set forth an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion. They don't want anybody lording over them. They speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, this is the archangel, contended with the devil and he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and read greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and 
and, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, cared about of winds and trees whose fruit withered, without fruit twice dead plucked up from the roots. The raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds, for they have ungodly committed these murder, murmurers and complainers walking after their own lust and in their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, not having the spirit, but ye beloved, build up your most on your most holy faith. How? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Can I say that another way? Stay on the hill. Keep the light shining. You're being effective just by your consistency. I'm going to say something to you because there, there are people, whether you realize that or not, there are people, no doubt, there are people that are watching you. And I'm not trying to be ugly in what I'm saying that are hoping you're going to fail. I knew it wouldn't last long. I, I knew that wasn't going to cut it. Nah, that Jesus stuff, that, that ain't going to last. That ain't going to last. You'll be, you'll be back. You'll be back. But when they look up at the top of that hill and they still see you up there shining, you don't have to do much. You're already speaking volumes just by sticking in there.
and living for God and being what Jesus wants you to be. You are a city that has been set on a hill. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. You want to sing uh, Jesus or something about that name? Master, Savior. I love to hear Sister Thomas sing this song. Thank you for listening. If our ministry has blessed you and you would like to support, please consider donating at powh.org.